Hola. You're listening to The Dollop. This is a uh, history podcast, American history. My name's Dave Anthony. Each week I read a story to my friend. Gareth Reynolds, who has no idea what the topic is about. Did I shame you into no energy? Is that what happened? I don't know what's going on anymore. What is happening? Did you, we just did, we just did, you would find five minutes ago. <laughs> did you just do heroin? God, you want a little hit of dude? I'll do one bottle. <laughs> people say this is funny? Not Gary Guerra. Dave, okay. Someone or something is tickling people. Is it for fun? And this is not going to become the Tickling Podcast. Okay. You are Queen Fakie of Made Up Town. All hail Queen Shit of Liesville. A bunch of religious virgins go to mingle. And do what? Pray. Hi, Gary. No. Nicely done, my friend. No. No. <laughs> Asshole. I learned it from watching you. Come at me with this bullshit. All right, bro. All right, I'm sorry. All right, now you just give me the death stares. <laughs> Look, whenever you want to shout the fucking date, just shout it, okay? March 5th, 1863. <laughs> <laughs> Super surprising. Henry Frank Fawcett was born in Meridian, Texas. He had two brothers. Ranching was the main way one made a living in Meridian, and the biggest landowner was the most important person in town. All right. The Fawcett family was the most distinguished in Bosque County. Frank's father, Henry, was a lawyer and a county judge. His uncle, Captain Sam Fawcett, a Civil War hero, who after the war became county sheriff. The Fawcett's owned half of Bosque County. Okay. So they're no shit. They're no fucking shit. No, they're they're well. Aren't they? Aren't they the shit? They are the shit. Yeah. When they were young, the three Fawcett brothers weren't interested in hard work or public service. Cool. They preferred drinking and gambling. Oh boy, here we go. <laughs> Frank had a few run-ins with the law, including the theft of a calf from a farmer at age thirteen. Gee, that's a little early for calf theft. What's well, so what are you can do with a calf? Well, you steal a calf at thirteen for what are you can do with it? Come on, if I can... you also have a giant fucking ranch. Like, what are you going? What are you taking it for? It's, the, it's for the love of the game, dude. It's not about the prize. <laughs> it's about the adrenaline. Uh, he was once fined twenty five dollars plus cost for disturbing religious worship on a Sunday. You can only imagine. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you if you're getting imagine. fined, you got to be pretty loud. Yeah. Frank also began carrying a gun within the town limits. Okay, so things are good with Frank. Yep. Cool. Uh, when he was eighteen, Frank married fourteen year old Gussie in eighteen eighty one. No questions. <laughs> That's what you did then. <laughs> yeah, you, you found a girl who. Just was about to hit puberty. Yep. And you made sure she had the craziest name on earth, and then you wedded her. You wed the shit out of her. Fourteen. One day, a black man was making what Frank called untoward comments to his young wife. Yeah, like, hey, she's 14. And he shot him. Oh, Jesus. Uh, Dead. Oh, he shot him dead. That's how bad he shot him. that's That's the worst amount you could shoot someone. But nothing would come of it because the Fawcett's practically own Meridian. Cool. Yep. And the boys never got more than a slap on the wrist. The marriage to uh, 14-year-old Gussie wasn't destined for longevity. What? As Gussie died while giving birth in January 1884. The child died, too. Everybody died. <sighs> Came out the side, I guess. So we're at a, a kill count of three so far on this small one. Right now, we got three dead. All right, good. 
But Fawcett, jump, Fawcett jumped back on the horse and later that year married Helen Thomas, ex-wife of a county judge who already had her own daughter. Nine years old. Not even a, not even a year. And he's no. like, I'll take another lady. Yeah, well, no, it sounds like yeah, it sounds like yeah. you got over Gussie fast. Really quick. Yep. She was loud. Uh, together they had two more children, Ada and William, but Meridian was too small for Frank. He and Ellen moved to Fort Worth, the gateway to West Texas. Oh, boy. This guy in Texas. Not sure how I feel. Frank showed little regard for the law or other men in his new town. Though not physically imposing, he was quick to take offense and unafraid to start a fight. Hey, cool. Who needs strength when you got crazy? (laughs) I'm out of my fucking mind. Yeah. No, I know that you know how to box, but I'm also out of my tits, so look out. He carried a six-shooter, as most professional gamblers did, and he knew how to use it. Gambling was Frank Fawcett's calling. It was a lot easier than raising or stealing cattle, and it was more lucrative than any other line of work for him. Okay. Fort Worth presented limitless opportunities for gambling. There was no dearth of saloons or of suckers begging to be relieved of their cash. Okay. The lower class men did their drinking and gambling in the Hell's Half Acre district on the south end of town. Sounds gorgeous. If this Right now, this sounds like... Uh, a cl- uh, like almost a hacky um, western movie. <laughs> yeah, like this Going down like... to Hell's Half Acre. Oh. Watch out for them faucet boys. <laughs> they're lakey. <laughs> the lakey faucets. They can't be arrested and they're bad. Yeah. They own this town. <laughs> they're marrying nine year olds. <laughs> um. The fancy saloons line Main Street on the north end of town, including the Board of Trade, the Cabinet Saloon, the Palais Royal, and the White Elephant. Mm. Each placed a screen just inside the Batwing doors to block the view from more genteel passerbys. So they put up so they screens put up so that people screen. couldn't see how fucking insane yeah, things were? They never were. put that in movies. So no. Yeah, so they wouldn't... People it's bad for see. shooting. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, no, we no we'll make it. swinging doors. These sort of doors that open up. And then there's a big black thing behind it. Yes, exactly. Yeah. The real action took place upstairs, where the second story gambling rooms catered to highbrow clientele. The Palais Royale and White Elephant competed for the title of Fort Worth's premier saloon. The Royal had been in business since 1888. It had a carved antique oak bar with a marble base, a tiled floor, and wine rooms in the back for ladies. Mm, Lovely. The owner of the gambling room at the Royal died in 1893, which led to Fawcett overseeing the nightly Kino, Faro, and poker games. Okay, so I'm going to guess that now that he's in charge, Mm -hmm. everything gets better mm-hmm. and this is going to be over soon yeah it's it's the story of a man who made good yeah a guy who had control yeah with himself and with others yeah and he ended up giving all of the gambling money to the church oh gosh this to guy save babies this oh gosh this is great one of Fawcett's employees was green Durrett, known professionally as doc carver okay completely different name yeah, yeah, I don't know. That's not much. One name has nothing to do with the other. Nope, it's not a nickname. It's a new name. It's a completely different name. Yes. Doc back then did not mean someone who was a doctor. It meant he was good at gambling. Interesting. Must be. I mean, in times Get of the mer- doctor. All right, here we Here's go. Here's the doc. Now the doctor. Oh, sweet God. She's. Uh, what's wrong with her? 
Here's a here's an eight of spades. Here, and uh, this is some throwing dice. <laughs> she has a fever. I look. You called for me. I don't know what to tell you. Um, does she want to play gin rummy? Okay, uh, so threes are wild. Okay, threes are wild, and um, <laughs> she's bleeding a lot. Uh, threes are wild. She's bleeding a lot. Yeah. Uh, all right, let's do uh, let's do uh, just a straight five card step. Okay, are you sure this is? <laughs> I think so. Okay, cool. I'm, I'm sorry, just looking now, but while you're dealing, she is she's dead. Yeah, this is. Oh, two of a kind. <laughs> oh, damn it! She would have won. Yeah, that's a shame. God bless her. Um. So Doc came from Georgia. Carver had been the Carver had the usual pasty complexion of a man who spent his nights gambling and his days sleeping. <laughs> cool vampire skip. Yep. Doc also had a logged a strand of convictions across Texas for disturbing the peace at gaming houses. He had lost the middle finger on his right hand during one fight. I mean, the, uh, I mean, the the possibilities of how the swear finger got. <laughs> got taken away is great. How do you, how do you, he must have had a ring on or. Yeah. Well, when did. you lose a finger? I've often wondered this. Finger. I've often wondered this. When did the middle finger become a thing? Like how, mean? like when did the, like gesturing with the your middle finger. Off? Yeah. Where did flipping off become a thing that people are like, whoa. I don't know. Maybe the I'll first do... few times the inventor of the middle finger was probably like, people aren't understanding what yeah, I'm they're trying not, to this say. Is a, this is a bad thing. Everyone yeah. keeps going. Yeah. Number one, two. No, not number one. I'm saying fuck you. I'm saying this is my way of saying fuck you. This means fuck you. Uh, number one. <laughs> no, fuck you. Oh, fuck you. He must have got a shot off or something. Yeah, I mean, so he's he given someone. Middle so if so hard. if it's a threatening if it's a threatening gesture at that time, and he had it up, someone could he just shot it <laughs> off, cut it off, ripped it off, bit it off. Uh, like many gamblers, Doc carried a hidden gun. Whenever the law started breathing down his neck, he would skip town, always landing in another town where the law was more tolerant of his bullshit. In his early forties, now Carver was a bachelor who carried all he owned in a carpet bag. Cool. That's how that's Doc, attractive. It's a good sign. Sweet. Yeah, he it's should. A have, he should. Sign. He should be the next bachelor. When a dude rolls in with just a carpet bag, yep. you're talking about a quality gentleman. Uh, my name's Doc Carver, and this is my life. <laughs> so, there you go. No, I do not have a finger. No, I do not have a finger, and I do not have a ring on this finger either. Available. That's how Carver came to Fort Worth around 1895. Okay. He quickly found employment as a dealer at the at the Royale. Oh boy, he had no trouble getting hired as he had known Fawcett professionally for about fifteen years. He boarded a few years with Frank and Helen Fawcett at their house on West First Street before moving down the street in October, eighteen ninety eight, to a room at Miss Nichols' boarding house. So he's buddies with Fawcett. Yeah, so he's buddies with Fawcett, so he gets the job because they know each other professionally, which, yep. if you're professional in their eyes, is not good. No, just a, just another wonderful gambling. Yep, gentleman. just a professional shithead. Things are going smoothly until one Monday in May 1899 when Fawcett fired Carver for reasons that are still not completely known. Hmm. But it may have had something to do with a recent fight Carver had with a customer. The fight had left Carver with a permanently crippled wrist. It was described to be bent like a finger. Okay, let me just picture that. So Jesus. it's a wrist so, that's bent like. Oh my god! Like yeah, like down and like. Uh, so he's got almost like a hook. A hook hand. He's got like J arm. Yeah, he's got J arm. <laughs> As it's called speaking. in the medical. In the medically medical speaking, he suffered from J arm. Oh, J arm. <laughs> 
So he's out. He's, so he's missing a finger, and he has a <laughs> fucked up wrist. You hope it's the same hand, though. I bet it's if not. If you're him. If I it's bet not. It's not. Like, no. People are like, how'd you lose the finger? You're like, that's the good one. <laughs> Ignore the J-arm. Fuck you. Oh. oh, God damn it. Here, look look at this curve. Now, if you see closely, I'm holding up the fuck you finger. What is that, like an upside down seahorse? No. Is fuck that, you. Is that an upside down seahorse? Fuck you. Uh, a crippled dealer back then was a pointless dealer. So <laughs> I think we could, and I'm not even trying to be an asshole, we could say the same now. I mean, like, if you, someone's hand was like that in Vegas, you'd be like, well, look, I want the $5 blackjack table, but I'm not going to take an hour of hand over here. <laughs> yeah. Okay, cool. <laughs> I look, I can hold the cards like this. Like yeah, I'm actually looking in. to actively gamble. I can stick them in my claw. Oh, boy. There, um, look, I got all the cards in my claw. It's, I was kind of looking over here like, why is no one at this table? And the one for you? Uh, no. You flipped and it. You flipped, you're not supposed to flip that card. Uh, sorry. Jesus Christ. I am dealing with a claw. All right. You know what? I, I'm out. And one for you. Uh, no, you just gave me one. It's okay. Oh, God. And one for you. They, uh, go, they don't go where I want them to go. Yeah, that's a problem for dealing. <laughs> uh, so this is why Fawcett fired Carver. Okay. Cause and was... there's not any workman's comp back then. And I'm sure you wouldn't get it for fighting with a customer anyway. So no. he's out of a job. Yeah. He's got he's out know, of a job. Got J arm and is missing his middle no finger. Cop. Carver believed he had been badly treated, but instead of leaving Fort Worth, he stayed around trying to catch on at another saloon. But no one would hire him because he was all bent and missing parts. Yeah. He grew more bitter by the day and told anyone who would listen that Fawcett ran a crooked house. Oh boy! So. Now, this was the worst thing one could do to a gambling house back then. Right. Their reputation was everything, but Carver wasn't done. He started rumor about Fawcett's wife, Helen, and her teenage daughter saying they were whoring about town. <laughs> it really... It, it, this has come up on a couple of the dollops where it's just there's this time you just if you were pissed you just called a guy's wife a whore and that was, that was like it. what the fuck did you do that was it yeah that's it it's on well you know she's whoring what <laughs> sir uh on monday afternoon may 29th a mutual acquaintance of both men told Fawcett that doc was spouting threats and speaking disrespectfully of his wife and daughter stepdaughter okay. That's called snitching. Yeah, okay. That guy's a snitch. Yeah. Snitching Fort, about snatch. For, wow. What? Fort Worth was not big enough for the two men to avoid each other. One day, about 5 p.m., Carver left the cabinet saloon and was walking past the Royal. Fawcett had been drinking with some buddies when he stepped out of the Royal and found himself looking at Carver. Both men were surprised when they came face to face. Okay. Carver tried to brush past Fawcett and enter the saloon. Whoa, so he's like... Excuse me. <laughs> Pardon me, excuse me. I'm just coming in for a just drink. coming through. Yep. Uh, but Fawcett's buddies blocked the doorway. Doc could not get past them, but he did not want to weigh and look like a pussy. So he stood there a moment in awkward silence. And then, purposefully ignoring Fawcett, he jokingly asked Warren Jeffries where he had bought his ugly pants. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So this, In- interesting. This interesting. Crazy smooth. Yeah. I mean, situation. Interesting. Hey, where'd you get them ugly pants, Warren? 
Uh, we're actually doing something else right now. Yeah. His pants are stupid. Listen, we'll... You got the, stupid pants. We will all beat the fuck out of you in a moment. Hey, day dumb pants. Alrighty. Jeffrey started to reply. Okay. So I love that Jerry's like, well, these pants ain't ugly. <laughs> no. Or he, or he was like, well, I got them down there. Actually, uh, uh, you know, at Ugly Joe's, uh, it's just down the down the street a little it's bit. A place called Ugly Joe Pants. Yeah, they have uh, two two for the price of one. You know, kind of how ugly they are. <laughs> but Fawcett interrupted Jeffries. He demanded to know what Carver had been saying, quote, about me and my house. Carver responded, "Any damn thing I please." <laughs> Talk to the hook. <laughs> Talk to the hook, crook. That was pretty much all that was needed. Fawcett was standing on the saloon's front step, which put him about six inches above Doc. Instead of reaching for the pistol he had hidden under his coat, Fawcett kicked Carver right in the balls. <laughs> oh, yeah. Classic yeah. Old West. <laughs> wow. You don't see that enough in the Old West uh, movies. Also, uh, you do have an advantage being up six inches in a situation yeah, like that. That gives you an extra straight, sort of yeah. like six inches of, of arc. Yeah, it's easy to kick a dude really in the balls who's down the stairs. Uh, what if he got kicked so hard his hand went straight? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Holy shit, I'm growing a middle finger too. <laughs> his middle finger's like, whoop. Oh my God, it's like Pinocchio's nose. Carver doubled over like a guy who had just been kicked in the balls. <laughs> yeah, with a high heel advantage. <laughs> Carver then rose and charged forward and got a hand around Fawcett's neck. I bet I know which hand. <laughs> Fawcett grabbed Carver, and they struggled for a moment before crashing, th- crashing through the swinging doors. Okay. There wasn't uh, a lack of witnesses to the fight. Fawcett's buddies... Bill Neighbors and Warren Jeffries were standing beside him when the fight started, and expecting a gunfight to break out, they took off running. <laughs> cool Elect- dudes. Yeah, cool, great, great friends. Electrician Lee Stevens had the best view. He was putting up lights over the entrance at the time, giving him an elevated view. So it's literally, it's like a fucking Western. This yeah. whole thing, like there's a guy just above putting up lights. There's a guy about to fall onto a chandelier and swing. <laughs> With, you know, just because. <laughs> Billy Morrison, owner of the restaurant across the street, was sitting at the front table by the window, watching. And he did a spit take. And he <laughs> he looked at his he looked at his he looked back at his wife and went, "Martha, we're going to need some coffins." <laughs> Once the fight moved inside the Royal uh, Dolphus Hill, the bartender witnessed everything. Hill watched as the two crashed into the cigar stand just inside the doorway. Okay. It's everything that could be stereotypical about an old Western. Fight. Welcome to stereotypes. Want a whiskey? <laughs> Y'all crashing a cigar stand. That'll be eight dollars. And next thing you know, this spittoon's gonna fall off the shelf onto this dainty lady. Then, holding on to each other, they stumbled around uh, behind the partition screen. Like a hockey fight, each man was holding on with one hand and punching away with the other. I mean, they, like I'm just picturing the the claw, the yeah. J claw. Like that must have been what he's holding on with. I mean, I guess actually right? it could the be hook. advantageous yeah, like if you. Yeah, it's almost like pulling yeah. a bad performer off a stage with your hand. Exactly. Yeah. It's so Mr. he's Sandman. So he's just got that, and then he's punching him with his fingerless left. <laughs> Um, so, uh, at around 180 pounds, Carver outweighed Fawcett by at least 10 pounds. Uh, and at six feet, he was also taller, but Fossil was eight, eight, Fawcett was eight years younger and described as a wiry active man. Okie dokie. 
Although Carver's bent wrist put him at a disadvantage, he finally managed to get Fawcett into a headlock and punched away. Okay. Fawcett then twisted free, reached under his coat, and turned back around holding a forty-five. Oh, see. Carver grabbed the gun and pulled it down with one hand while continuing to punch away with the other. Wow. This guy would have been a great goon. Yeah. He'd been a great NHL player. Yeah, for sure. This dude brought a gun to a hook fight. <laughs> They continued to wrestle over the position of the gun, but Fawcett had two hands on it, and Carver just won. A shot rang out. Oh Carver stumbled backwards, bleeding, and fell to the floor. A bullet was in his lower right leg. He rolled to the right and tried to get up, but Fawcett stepped closer and shot him again, this time through the left shoulder. But Doc was not done, so Fawcett aimed dead center and put a third bullet into him. Now sprawled on the rubber mat in front of the bar, Carver fixed his gaze on Fawcett and growled, You damn cur, you knew I had no gun and you came to match a fight with me. He then looked over to the bartender and said, Save me. Oh, jeez. Yeah, oh. it's not good, right? No, that's not good. Two of Fawcett's buddies had entered the saloon after the shooting stopped. And they heard him say, You've been trying to match a fight with me for some time and now you've gotten one. Okay. Yep. Good. So grammar was important. Yep. With three bullets still left in his gun, Fawcett then backed out of the saloon, keeping his gun aimed at Carver as he moved. Doc was a bloody mess and slipping into a coma. Outside, Fawcett lowered his gun and calmly sat down in a chair near the entrance. He handed the gun to a friend and just sat there waiting for the sheriff. He arrived within five minutes, took the murder weapon, and placed Fawcett under arrest. He was taken straight to Justice of the Peace, R.F. Millam, in the courthouse four blocks away. A crowd had gathered in front of the saloon. A few of the men walked inside where the scared bartender still stood behind the bar. I bet he was taking shots, right? If this, yeah. is, if this, is, if this is the movie I'm thinking of. Yeah, yeah, for sure, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then the rookie walked right, in and calm, puked. Calm down, Bobby. We're going to need to talk. Go, don't go. take too much of it. Carver lay on the ground, somehow still breathing. When they opened his shirt for a better look at the wounds, the damage done by the forty-five became very apparent. One bullet had shattered his left shoulder, passed through both lungs, and exited the right side. I'm sorry. That's the so most this fucked is up the bullet. magic bullet. <laughs> Was it a cartoon bullet? It's a pingity ping. Was it an animated bullet? Yeah, it was a pingity ping, and it screamed as it went. And when it like went through one lung and it was exiting the body, it went <laughs> and turned around and went through the other. Yeah, pretty much. Okay. Uh, the other bullet went into the lower abdomen. It had also passed clear through. Either of the wounds would have been fatal. They searched his clothes but found no weapon, which meant bad things for Fawcett. Small towns expected swift trials and justice. Judge Milan convened an immediate coroner's inquest, ordered all available witnesses to attend, and took testimony. Fawcett stayed in jail as bail was denied. The grand jury voted for an indictment for second-degree murder. The case was set for trial on June 12th before Judge William D. Harris of Texas's 17th Judicial District. The sheriff summoned some 200 men for a jury pool. Fawcett with his, was then granted bail by Judge Harris. He posted $6,000 and went home. Okay. Doc Carver was buried on May 31st. No one was able to reach his family in Georgia. His friends chipped in for the funeral. Conducting the great side service was Reverend J.B. Buchanan, who didn't even know the deceased. Okay. So this guy... Uh, what, 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 what can you say about Carver that hasn't been said already? Um, he was a... Not a doctor. 
Uh, he, he had a hook as a hand, and then he's missing a finger. And and uh, that's all I got. Anybody else got anything to yeah, say? Yeah, anyone else? Uh, they, uh, yeah, yeah, he hated ugly pants. Uh, gotta, yeah, yeah, over there, yeah, yes. He got arrested a lot. Oh, yeah, he got arrested a lot. Yep. Okay, okay. so he had a, uh, a J hand. Yep. He had a missing finger. Yeah, yeah. He's not a doctor. Right. Hated ugly pants. Yep. And got arrested a lot. Okay, Bert, All right, throw put some him dirt Put him under. Get, it, get the dirt, dirt going. It up. Move the dirt. Frank Foss's trial lasted five days. Gamblers, lawyers, and lawmen took the stand. Very few character witnesses testified for Carver. This character Although, witness is somebody who's like a heightened sketch character, right? Yes. Okay, cool. Uh, one of those who did testify for Carver was his landlady. He always paid the rent on time. He was very nice. And, and missing that finger, I tell you what, that dude does. I cannot tell you the uh, things. Yeah, that no, no further questions. Can do with that with no further finger. questions. Okay, ma'am, no further questions. It's like no further questions, ma'am. Uh, a lot of witnesses testified on Foss's behalf. Okay, that little showing up for the dude who killed the guy. Yeah, of course. Showing what the gambling world thought of dead guys versus alive guys, and also what it meant to come from a powerful family. Then Fawcett. Uh, himself took the stand he didn't really help himself very much really he said he had planned to kill carver one way or another which completely <laughs> destroyed his self-defense plan. as his lawyer's head hit the table ah fuck me frank jesus christ i didn't even oh, think i had frank, to tell you hey i said jesus the guy was swinging at you and was trying to kill oh. Oh, oh right that that's what i meant he matter-of-factly testified that if he had been carrying a shotgun at that moment, he would have killed Carver in front of the saloon. <laughs> oh, you're not helping! Why'd you hire me, buddy? Oh, boy. You really took that oath to heart, huh? Anyway, that's me testimony. All right. Oh, so I think that's good. Well, I'm good to go then, yeah? All right. Now, uh, which way's the exit? I'm if a little confused. I had a hammer. Does I would this lead to the street? Crashed his skull in with All it. All right. And I will be leaving now. If I had an iron boot, I would have squished his brain into maze. Right now, which into, way yep. to the which way to the outside? Here I go. Just 18 days after the killing, the trial went to jury at 5 p.m. At noon the next day, the jury returned its verdict, finding Fawcett guilty of murder in the second degree. He was sentenced to 25 years in the state pen. Fawcett's lawyers filed a motion for a new trial and appeared directly to the Court of Criminal Appeals. In November, the appeals court reversed the verdict and ordered a retrial. Okay, why? Just... I, I never could find a reason. Okay, I looked just, through everything. Just for shits and gigs? Yep. In May 1900, Fawcett was back in a Fort Worth courtroom, this time before Judge Irby Dunklin. Oh, what a, what a sweet name. Great. Oh, no, you got name. Judge Irby? Irby the love judge? Er, <laughs> coincidentally, that very week, Judge Dinklin and Judge Harris had exchanged districts. Okay. Wait. Hey, uh, you just want to randomly swap districts? Okay. Yeah. Just, I no, know. I don't have any questions. Yeah, there's nothing happening. Fuck it. Right now, there's Fuck no reason it. why I would do that. You know Fuck what I mean? It. It's like a wife swap. Yeah, let's just but switch. But for districts. Let's just switch with this big trial coming Fuck out. it. Yeah, okay. The state was again seeking a conviction for second-degree murder. The defendant's attorneys asked for a change of venue, but were overruled. Before the court wrote the judgment in the docket, defense attorneys announced they had a demur. Demure. No, they had a demurderer. Demur. <laughs> demurderer. A demur against the judgment. The word demur means to object. A demur is a document that makes the objection. Okay, so. so it's a piece of paper. So it's a little harder than we all thought it was. It's a stupid name for a piece of paper. Sure, a demur. 
Then the call it def- objection paper. Then the defense attorney said he had an authority supporting his demur, but had left it at his office, so he had, mm. so he had to go get it. Oh. He was allowed to. Oh, cool. That's normal. I'm gonna be right back with the thing with the set that says the stuff. All right, let's get a literal recess. You good? We will wait. That's a good dog. Yeah. A break was taken by the court. The judge went to his chambers. After 30 minutes, the defense attorneys returned with the demurrer, and the judge looked it over and immediately overruled it. So long, dog. Um, so he immediately gets the piece of paper. He goes, nope. Okay. Uh, wow, it came closer when you closed the window. <laughs> I should open it again. Uh, let's just leave it. It's a yeah. nice uh, ambiance. No, there's a leaf blower coming, too, so things are about to get good. Then the court looked to Fawcett to enter his plea, and hello? Where was Frank? He was not in the courtroom. Wait. That was when they figured out that sometime during the proceedings, Frank Fawcett had just walked out of the courtroom. What? No one had noticed he had disappeared until it was too late. I mean, that is balls. It had been nearly 30 minutes since anyone had seen Frank. Apparently, <laughs> he's strolled out apparently he walked straight out of town on 7th street flagging down a boy on a wagon and paying him two dollars for a lift to benbrook 10 miles southwest of town there Fawcett caught a westbound texas and pacific train and that was the last anyone ever saw of him <laughs> wow holy shit i mean he's a fucking asshole yeah but that move is that's outstanding right that's outstanding Newspapers called it the sensation of the time and probably the most remarkable escape ever made from Fort Worth by a prisoner. The Meridian Tribune said the last scene of Fawcett, he was walking down Main Street with his easy swinging gait, making considerable time without seeming to be in a hurry. Well, yeah, if you walk, if you straight up just walk out of a courtroom like you own the place, you're going to keep that going. It is the duty of the trial court in a felony case to put the defendant who is on bail in the custody of the sheriff. Before the trial commences and the bail money is returned. Okay. Make sense? No. So the court, so the guy, I guess back then you get at it, you're in prison, right? So to get to the courthouse, he has to have a bail bondsman take him. Oh, okay. So at the beginning of the trial, they're supposed to put him in custody of the sheriff and then the bail money is given back. Right. Right. It was admitted that the sheriff never at any time took custody of the fen- defendant. Well, that's a big problem for and, this plan. And that at no time did the court order into cu- the custody of the sheriff. Okay. Nor did the defendant, nor his attorneys, nor anyone else request that he should be placed in the custody of the sheriff. But the bail bondsman assumed he had been. <clears throat> so it's just the perfect storm of nobody asking anything. Okay. So after the change of venue request was overruled, the judge asked Fawcett to step forward. He was about to revoke his bail and place him in the custody of the sheriff, which made the Bosman who had brought him in from the jail think his job was over. So the Was bond- this the first time they'd ever done this? So the bondsman left. But before the judge could order him into custody, so he's like, step forward, I'm going to order you into custody of the sheriff. Yeah. But then, And then the bail bondsman goes, all right, see ya. And then right then his attorney asked for the demure. So then it was... Is that why he asked for the demure? No. No. Well, it it maybe, but I think it was just to have a Random. That he was, okay. So at that point, Frank was like, oh, no one's watching me. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> Feels like I should be watched as I a should, potential murderer. I guess I should go. Well, So this... he just walked out. <laughs> <laughs> the court said it never intended for this sort of loophole. 
Oh, oh, okay. As long as they didn't mean for it to happen. <laughs> they searched for Fawcett at his usual hangouts, but came up empty. Embarrassed, Sheriff Sterling P. Clark wired law enforcement agencies statewide to be on the lookout for Fawcett, offering a reward for his capture. Some of the other agencies... There's another dog now. <laughs> Some of the other agencies lunacy. added to the fun. In coming months, witnesses placed Fawcett in El Paso, New Orleans, Mexico, Cuba, and even South Africa. His family believes he went to Alaska and disappeared into the Sea of Miners in the Klondike gold fields. Uh, what would you do for a Klondike field? What would you do for a Klondike field? <laughs> then Meridian officials suddenly withdrew their reward offer and told the Tarrant County Sheriff that they had made a mistake. Their reward had been secured by a, quote, misapprehension of the facts. Fawcett, they now said, was not a cold-blooded killer. Oh. Should Frank show up in Meridian, officials there would not arrest him and return him to Fort Worth. What? It's just a good it's just good having a rich family. Jesus Christ. The Tarrant County DA's office said they had pigeonholed the case, meaning they had given him uh, given up on ever bringing Fawcett to justice. Cynic suggested the case died of neglect as the victim had no moneyed friends to offer a fat reward or to foot the expense of sending officers across western states to chase him down. In the end, Fawcett Carver murder. Uh, the Fawcett Carver murder was about the Western gambling culture, culture, where honor took strange forms, and six guns were the court of highest appeal. One of the gamblers who testified at Fawcett's first trial was one-armed Billy Thompson, another member of the local gambling fraternity. Eight years later, when Tarrant County authorities tried to close his gambling operation above Stag Saloon, Thomason would shoot County Attorney Jefferson Davis McLean to death. In broad daylight on Main Street. Jesus. So the dude just got to walk. Yeah, literally. Because no He literally one, walked. Because no one was paying attention. <laughs> Is That might be where walking comes from. It's the greatest thing ever where they're like, all right, step forward. The sheriff's going to, what's up? Hey, uh, we actually want to file this. Okay. Yeah. All right, so do you have it? No, I, got, I forgot it in my office. Okay. I'll go grab it. All right, so let's wrap this for 30. Okay, great. Cool. Put a pen in this. Be right back. Yep. All righty. Everybody stay where they are. All right. Hey, anyone seen Fawcett? Ah, what? Oh, I fuck! Ah, oh, we didn't do the thing! <laughs> the thing you're supposed to do. Oh, Shit. Oh, man, God. we are dumb. Wow. That has to be... Uh, I mean, again, I, like he's obviously a piece of shit, but that has to just be such a great feeling. Oh, to just to, walk? To, yeah, well, the idea that you're, just you're, take, uh, you're, you're going to... Je- you're like, you're done. Yeah, 25 you're years. Done. You're done. And this is maybe like the last day of your bullshit. Yeah. And then right before... You know, shit gets real. You're like, pretty sure I could probably just straight I... up walk out of here. Nobody's paying attention. Alrighty. And say, friend, can I borrow two bucks? <laughs> wow, yeah. that's nuts. Yeah. Fuck. Old West. Yeah. Normal. This right. dollop is brought to you by noise. Do- now it's quiet. Yeah, now it's quiet. Dogs and leaf blowers, noise. I fucked off for the end. Oh, hey there, everybody. It's Gareth, you know, from this uh, this podcast. Uh, listen, I've got some stand-up shows. I'm inviting the Garmy, the Gareth Army, to join me for. I will be in Fort Collins, Colorado, August 18th and August 19th. I will be in Minneapolis, Minnesota, August 24th through August 26th at Acme. I will be going to the UK in September. Please join me. I will be in Glasgow, September 13th, London, September 15th, Dublin, September 17th, and September 19th, Manchester, Birmingham, September 20th, Bristol, September 22nd, and Cardiff, September 24th, and then in November.
November, I'll be in Australia. November 10th, almost sold out, I think. I'll be in Melbourne, Australia. Then I will be in Northbridge, Australia on November 15th. Adelaide, November 16th. Canberra, November 17th. Brisbane, November 18th. And then I will be in uh, Sydney on November 24th. Go to GarethReynolds.com for tickets. Garmy, let's get at it. After it. Let's see you there. Hey there, people listening to The Dollop. Uh, this is Gareth. Yes, the same guy. I Listen, I have a new podcast called We're Here to Help that I'm doing with my friend Jake Johnson. It's basically a call and advice show where we don't say that we're professionals because we aren't, but we try to help people with problems that are important to them. You can listen to it wherever you listen to podcasts, and it is out right now. So go listen to We're Here to Help with Jake and Gareth. We're here to help with Gareth and Jake. I don't remember how we did it, but either way, fun. Half Hour comes out Tuesday, August 22nd, and the episodes will be out every Tuesday and Friday. We're here to help 